As a reminder, content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investor or potential investors in any Inovia fund. Please note that Inovia and its affiliates may also maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, visit Inovia.vc. Welcome back to Inova Sessions, your source for insights on tech entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Inova Capital Principal, Mike McGraw, coming to you from London. In today's episode, we're thrilled to sit down with Konstantina Soma, the founder and CEO of Kadem. Navigating her journey from Europe to Silicon Valley, Konstantina offers a first-hand account of the challenges and triumphs of raising from top-tier US investors. With her roots in Athens and her eyes set on the San Francisco tech landscape, she underscores the significance of building a strong network of founders and the complexities of fundraising whilst propelling a business forward. Dive in with us for a compelling conversation as Constantina unveils Kadem's growth narratives and shares her valuable insights on charting international success. Welcome, Constantina. Thanks, Mike. Awesome to, to be here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we actually get in the meat of it, can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself and kind of your journey leading to founding Kadem itself? Yeah, sounds good. I mean, it's not a very long journey, but before Kadem, essentially, I was studying my computer science degree um, in the UK. So originally, I'm from Greece. I moved to the UK to do computer science at 17. My biggest highlight before Kadem was my uh, summer camps during my teenage years. I used to kind of like lead teams and kind of like do extreme sports uh, like on the mountains with kids uh, and I was doing that for like 11 years um, as a camper myself but then kind of like uh, starting to lead the camp towards the end the story is I was studying computer science and I found myself back in 2016 in like a class of computer scientists more than like 200 male computer scientists um, that were all playing video games in their free time so for our third year, we had to actually make a game. And because of that, they had also a lot of adjacent units like 3D modeling, character and set design, 3D animations, um, which I took, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I still don't know why. So uh, that was my computer science years. I did my 3D modeling projects. I found them super frustrating. It took me weeks to get familiar with the 3D modeling software I was using back then, which was um, Autodesk Maya. And that's uh, slowly how I became super interested in uh, creating digital 3D assets in a more automated way. So yeah, KDM itself, you founded the company. Can you tell us a little bit kind of when did you start it and then what does it do today? What's the kind of quick elevator pitch? Yeah, 100%. So what happened was, you know, I was doing my 3D modeling projects. I was finding it super hard and I was like you know what, I know who is an expert on this, right? I can see all of these guys playing games. So game developers, game makers have the secret. They know what that's about. They can do it at scale. Um, And I actually go and talk to them. So I reached out to Artman Animations in Bristol and they are probably still the biggest game dev studio in the area. And I visited them and I was like, hey guys, I'm just a student. Tell me your trick. I'm struggling here. And they were awesome. They were like so welcoming, gave me a tour of the offices. And then they end up in this like huge room. And there was like 63D artists. And they say, here it is. That's how we do it. And I'm like, so how? <laughs> and they say, well, we make everything <laughs> with our amazing artists, you know, by hand. All these people. Yes. And yeah. I was shocked. I was like, no way. So I started kind of like reading into 
how much does it cost to make games? 3D asset creation, how much do 3D assets cost to make? And so on. Just figure out that it's actually like one of the biggest bottlenecks for game developers. And a big part of why games take years, like anywhere between like three to 10, even more years to make a AAA title and cost millions, it started being obvious that there's a huge opportunity here. But what is Kadim today? So Kadim is an AI startup and we have developed machine learning algorithms that take as input 2D images. So you can imagine sketches, concept art, even photos, and turn them into digital 3D models. Currently, kind of like our focus and our key customers base is game developers. So I kept the initial roots of the company roots 100%. Um, and they're using our technology to accelerate their pre-production, their production, and also for integrations of user generated content into their gameplay or other applications. So yeah, that's a bit about us. We now support a bit over 250 studios with Amazing. all of those uh, use cases and keep growing the team. That's fantastic. And so today we want to kind of double click on the fundraising journey part of it. And as we get into the details, people, I think we'll understand why KDM not only has so much potential, but is the exception, right? Like you've just kind of broken a bunch of rules and you're like, this is how I'm going to grow. And it, your journey has been really impressive. Can you walk us through just the very early days from a funding perspective in terms of before today and where did you raise from? So the first ever actually fundraise I did, um, it wasn't like equity based, but um, essentially uh, we entered the University of Bristol startup competition uh, while in the final year of university and we won first prize. So that gave us 10,000, the biggest yes. amount of money. <laughs> I had seen like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> it was like, w when I saw it in our, our kind of like business bank account, I was like crazy. And so that was the first amount of money that allowed us to keep going after mm -hmm. university. And shortly after that, we're like, we realized 10K is nothing. <laughs> It would have uh, been enough for like me working on it for like, I don't know, three years. I was super, <laughs> even longer, I was super... Very scrappy. Yeah, very scrappy and like very dedicated. But we then started looking for angels. Mm -hmm. So we raised then um, like a single angel, like super angel round uh, with Chris Kingsley, who is the founder and CTO, co-founder and CTO of Rebellion Games um, in Oxford. So that was like 150K check from a single angel. And that was the second. And then we also did an angel round shortly afterwards. So in terms of the timeline, May 2020, graduated, got the university prize. December 2020, we got Chris on board. That was amazing. Um, and then summer 2021, we raised an angel round, bringing on board people like Tom Blomfield, the founder and CEO of Monzo, Matt Robinson, the co-founder and CEO of Go Cardless, and other kind of like founders of billion dollar companies from Europe. Yeah, it's great to see really, because a lot of the companies you mentioned became big companies only in the last three or four years, right? Your timing was right to at least have that richness of angels that, you know, had been through your journeys just a couple of years earlier and were kind of now willing to support the next generation. Yeah, 100%. So then the seed is where, the, let's call it the geo distribution of your financing started to evolve a little bit. Before you raised the seed itself, did you have any operations or clients in the US? What was the profile of the business at that point? So, no, we didn't have any operations in terms of, you know, presence in the US. 
We had customers in the U.S. very early on because being a B2B SaaS product online, anyone could kind of like buy, buy it and, and uh, start working with us. But up until actually end of 2022, we didn't have a U.S. entity. But during 2022, I had already started the procedure of like doing a flip with our U.K. limited. Got it. And so then you're getting ready for your seed round. How do you think about your go-to-market from a fundraising perspective of, you know, what's the top of funnel? Which VCs do you want to approach? What did you have in mind in terms of the criteria there? Yeah, so for my seed round, so that was a bit less than a year ago, autumn uh, 2022. I was 100% sure that I wanted to be in the US. And I was also sure that I wanted to kind of like speak to as many Bay Area funds as possible. So the go-to-market, it wasn't as sophisticated as, <laughs> as you make, make it sound. But essentially what I did was I tried to get as many intros as possible from mm-hmm. all of my founder friends that, um, you know, maybe they have raised from SF funds before or maybe they're in the area or, you know, they're maybe part of YC. So like trying to use all of my network to get as many introductions to as many funds as possible. Mm-hmm. And then scheduling the trip to San Francisco and being very careful of like arranging everything very real time so everyone at the same time so that there is not a huge time span um, and the fundraise is all very concentrated in in a time period got it and and maybe just to double click on something that's not fundraising but i think you said is interesting like you had a very strong desire to go into the u.s was that you felt the market pull from a demand perspective because intuitively europe has a fair amount of relatively sizable gaming successes so it feels like there would be somewhat of a critical mass here like what was your thinking there so i mean obviously san francisco is the place to be for like tech katim is not a gaming company is a technology like an ai company so definitely i'm very inspired by all of the founders that built such uh you know huge companies there and i am very drawn essentially mm-hmm. to that kind of like ecosystem as a person I guess the mindset is different. Mm-hmm. So instead of kind of like focusing on financial projections, we focus on the vision. I'm sure we will go deeper into that. Um, but back to your kind of like go-to-market, another piece of preparation that was very important is like, you know, knowing what I'm looking for in terms of like the VC. So yeah. because I was seed stage, I was making sure that the funds I was talking to are doing seed deals. Did you even explore the seed in Europe before? Or you just kind of from day one said, okay, I need my seat. Let me buy my plane ticket. Mm, I definitely did. So the angel rounds I mentioned with like all of the great, um, like big European founders Mm -hmm. was supposed to be my seat round, but it ended up to be an angel round. Why? Because I got on board only angels Mm -hmm. and no funds. I was talking to funds super kind of like intensively and actively. Uh, I had a very big success with angels. Uh, Got it. I'm sure a lot of funds are kind of kicking themselves now for for not jumping in much faster, much more aggressively here in Europe. Who knows? You raised your seed from the U.S. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, who ended up being that lead for you and then where the next financing kind of took you? Yeah. So essentially the seed was... Again, kind of like a mix of funds and angels, but this time from U.S. angels. I guess the fund that was in the round was Pioneer. So they fund mainly Y Combinator companies. And I had an amazing experience with them. I think they're one of the best early stage funds uh, in the world. And the way we got them on board is literally like a founder already in their portfolio made an intro. And then I jumped on a call with... 
team, I think, and a couple more from the board. And it was a 30-minute call. And then I think like two hours later, they said we're in. Fantastic. <laughs> and, and, that, and that was it. <laughs> That's interesting. And then your A, can you just walk us through that quickly? And then we'll go into the specifics of, of the interactions themselves. So this is super recent. Um, so our Series A was very fast. So <laughs> from our seat onwards, so from last October onwards, I was super focused on kind of like building the business and um, my priorities were, okay, we just go full on customers and we just kind of like get as many enterprises on board. We grow the customer's base. We iterate the product as fast as possible. And so what I was doing months before the race, even before my seed. So what I was doing for more than a year leading to my Series A was sending monthly updates to my wish list as a fans. And that was like a big uh, list of people because I had been trying to raise and I had been trying discussions for like two years. So everyone that I really liked during those discussions, I had a spreadsheet, you know, name, email. This is my list. See, that's great. Go to market. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> so literally I had built this out um, and every single month I was fighting all month to get kind of like very, very good growth for the business. And then at the end of the month, sending the updates and then kind of like creating momentum and hype and literally so much engagement in nice. those monthly updates. People would reply to me, congrats on the progress, <laughs> etc. And like, and then I would ask favors <laughs> and I was like, Hey, can you, can you intro me to, to this person that, that, you know, um, and, mm. and so this like doing this for like 12 or more months, yeah. like, every single month builds kind of like a lot of momentum yeah. and interest. And then I, I moved to SF early this year. So I moved to SF for a couple months, for three months. And so I was spending a lot of time with people in SF. Mm. There was the games development conference as well. That went amazing for us. We got the word out, a couple of events, presentations, presenting the, yeah. the KDM tech. And so on. So that led to our Series A. I was actually not um, to raise before the end of this year, but our Series A was very impromptu. So we had uh, a couple of funds that were very close and had been close. We had discussions. And so we, we, we got the offer. That's fantastic. And unfortunately, we can't disclose who's the tier one investor yet, but we'll make sure to update our listeners when the news is public. Okay. So Seed Series A, basically both from the US, you're kind of fully Americanized or American funded by now. Can you walk us through just a little bit how that relationship building process would would compare versus kind of your European conversations? Well, you've mentioned kind of the pace of it. Historically, a lot of American VCs, there's a higher proportion of former operators. The series A, the medium rounds are usually kind of twice as big as Europe, maybe kind of call it 1.5 to two times. Have you seen those same kind of differences in your conversations? Yeah, 100%. That's what I meant earlier when I talked about like the mindset is different when you raise in Europe versus when you when you do in the US. For example, from my personal experience, if you were to talk with uh, European VCs, they are indeed less likely to be operators and more of a kind of like banking background, which means probably they've never been in the founder's shoes. And so the conversation is different. It becomes about projections and can you make a five-year financial uh, spreadsheet and it's like yes I can but you know it's gonna be 100% wrong and we both exactly. know that 
<laughs> so like why, why waste both our time on that that's kind of like the the eu experience plus a general kind of like risk aversion yeah uh, hopefully you pave the way for kind of the future ones that are gonna be raising because these people will have fomo from having missed out on katem yeah maybe um and then the other thing is like yeah you move on to the us and it's all about you know vision who has the most vision and do I believe in this founder? And it's a completely different conversation. It's like, can I work with this person? Like, are they are, are they a good leader? Do they know what they're talking about, obviously? Um, do I believe in this idea? What I also see, is it crazy enough? They like crazy. <laughs> they like crazy because they think it's going to be huge. Yeah. Just to make the point, I think, of how much of an exception Kadem can be, in 2018-19, around 2% of UK companies which had raised a Cedar Series A from US funds didn't have a presence there. So you're in that kind of call it 2% might have changed a little bit post COVID, but regardless, would you say that your European roots would have been a bit of a hurdle to get that done? And ultimately it was fluid enough because you were traveling enough and you had enough US demand that it didn't impact it as much? Um, in general, I think that uh, doing the flip was a, a great help. So before doing the flip, when I was raising my summer 2021 round, which ended up being the angel round, I was talking with a few US funds back then too, but they were like, yeah, Delaware Corp is a requirement for us. We, we want the company to have a US entity. I was getting that feedback even from back then and then from discussions with founders and then I became also aware of like Silicon Valley and Y Combinator and like everything. I was like, hey, yeah, th that's the right step. Like I need to make this sooner or later. So let's do it sooner. Let's do it sooner and let's go very, very fast. But having said that, I think, I don't know, like except from that fact, except from the entity fact, being a European, is it a disadvantage? Maybe, maybe, because uh, it's different to have grown up in Silicon Valley. <laughs> And it's different yeah. to have grown up in Athens. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's, it's much different. Um, so definitely you have to work harder to catch up. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, that's, it's definitely doable. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're the living proof of it, right? And hopefully easier and easier. I think obviously not only with just all the technologies that allow us to communicate much faster, but I think um, the interest people kind of waking up to the community and all the innovation there is in in Europe. So you got the investors on board. How did you think about the round composition in terms of US investors? Clearly there's a big pool there, makes sense for a lot of reasons. Did you want to have some Europeans on the cap table as well? Kind of, you know, you have a good history with angels here. How did you think about having any type of representation from Europe in your Series A? Yeah, so that's a great question. Specifically for my Series A, I didn't think about that. We also brought on board some amazing angels. Um, that were strategic from like the game space. So like ex-founders of big game companies or related. So we brought on board uh, Nate, founder of Oculus. So a lot of industry experts basically. No, that makes a lot of sense. Listen, and I mean, I think that that's how we're connected as well. Maybe less at this series C, right? But in terms of Katem and Inovia, Patrick, the partner here in London, is, I think, also on your cap table, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so Patrick as well is an amazing link to actually Europe, but also with the North American uh, connections. And I think that the power of, you know, being on both sides there is, is something that can bring a lot of value, but also just speaking for, from our perspective, right, as a North American VC, but with a European presence, it does feel like 
there's so many of the right ingredients here and it's just sometime about like creating that spark but making sure we keep pushing the founders in the right direction or at least advising them based on the expertise that we've had in north america right that that can make a big difference and you've mentioned you know y combinator a few times i think you met with patrick through cdl here in oxford for those who don't know cdl maybe just describe the program quickly and then just give your view on on how that was helpful to you yeah, 100%. So CDL, so that's the Creative Distraction Lab uh, program that actually is not only in the UK. So we have the Oxford stream and there's also um, like based in, in the US programs under the CDL umbrella. And so I joined the AI cohort back in, I think it was at the end of 2022. And uh, essentially how the program works is we, each startup gets paired with um, some amazing kind of like ex-operators or kind of like advisors anywhere from the tech. Um, and they have different streams. Obviously my stream was AI. So it was essentially like ex-tech operators. And you get to to speak with them about kind of like the current uh, challenges of the business. They they help with both kind of like actionable stuff. So like introductions to people as well as with advice and kind of like thinking through your problems. Uh, so yeah, that's how I met Patrick and actually Jane uh, Wallerwood as well, who also is part of our cap table at Kadem. Um, so yeah, Jane is fantastic. Yeah, an amazing program uh, throughout. It gives the startups the opportunity to also pitch and prove that you know they're making something very big, and uh, yeah, get feedback. That's great. Yeah, CDL is is focused on kind of finding companies that have the potential to have a hundred million or a billion in revenue further down the road. Right. It's all about those big ideas, which um, in many ways might just be a great kind of uh, starting point for European founders to then get ready for the North American mindset of okay, how do you think big and how do you pitch that vision, like you were saying earlier. A hundred percent. And so many of the people there actually like, you know, have very strong ties with the Mm -hmm. US so they can definitely help make the link. Yeah. And open doors. That's fantastic. Okay. If we think a little bit about the, you know, post investment period. So now you have the money in the bank, a few US investors, a bunch of fantastic angels on both sides of the pond. In terms of how you're thinking about using that money, how much of it are you thinking about investing in Europe in terms of, you know, headcount and go to market versus the US now for the business? Yeah. So as you know, so we operate uh, in two offices. So we have an office in London uh, and here's where kind of like our core tech team is. And then I'm also in the process of building out our San Francisco office. And so we find ourselves in this situation where I have a super talented team here in London building all of our tech. I want to grow it, obviously bring more great people onboarding this team and keep growing. At the same time, the majority of our customers at this point are on the West Coast. So uh, we have a huge pool from not only San Francisco, like the whole West Coast to kind of like have presence there. We need to start building our business teams, like our customer success teams to help the, all of those people. So I'm in the process of essentially building this team up in SF, focus more on the business side of things for Kadem. And then, yeah, obviously tech too, because we're, we're a tech company. So I'm sure we're going to be hiring for tech in San Francisco too, uh, but maintaining a very strong hub in, in London. That's fantastic. And what does that mean for you? You know, you said you'd move three months for the fundraising. Do you have a permanent personal base? Are you kind of flying over every week, month? Like we, I've heard all sorts of stories on this podcast so far about, you know, how people went about it. What, what is your strategy? Um, okay, so uh, 
from now on, I would love to be spending my majority of the time um, over in Ceph. Um, I think that's kind of like uh, the best for a couple things. So first, customers uh, and new customers and business. Secondly, for my personal inspiration. I don't know, I find uh, San Francisco super inspiring. I, I love looking at OpenAI's logo across the street. <laughs> And you know, thinking like Sam Altman is in there. And so how do we reach this level? But obviously I am I'm very conscious that I, I would need to come back in London uh, very frequently. So for example, my plan is like I'm I'm leaving during September to go over to the US. I'll spend a couple months there until maybe I don't know, December, come mm-hmm. back for like one or two months and then go back in San Francisco. So very back and forth. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But hopefully not every week. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, listen, that, that's what I've heard. In terms of, you know, just quickly on the traveling and the teams and whatnot, around time zones, have you found that to be a big hurdle for internal communications and collaboration or even just client communications or so far so good? So far so good is the short answer, but essentially the team here in London is very self-sufficient and, you know, the because they've been uh, with me for over, like the, the oldest members for over two years now, they they know how to lead things by themselves. Obviously, I love to pitch in. I'm, <laughs> I'm the person that loves to still kind of like get involved in, in both AI and the product. But our format is very fast sprints. So we will do a meeting, a planning meeting every two weeks, which, you know, I can definitely attend at like early morning in San Francisco and uh, get everyone hyped up. Um, so yeah, everything is working well. We have a very independent team on the tech side of things. And so I'm very confident, you know, I've done it before. I've been in San Francisco for a couple of months. Nothing went wrong. Uh, the opposite, actually, you know, I think like the more freedom you give to very talented people, the, the more performance and you get out and the better ideas. So, yeah, it's, it's good to have such a good team. That's fantastic. Okay. And so if we think about, you know, once again, post-investment, we're thinking you're working with your VCs. Obviously, some of them have already shown value pre-investment with your monthly updates and whatnot in terms of adding value and really helping you get KDM to where you want it to be. What kind of objectives have you set with them? So all of our investors are here. They're around, but not suffocating, if that makes sense. Anytime something is going wrong and I want to speak to someone, I, I have someone to kind of like call from my angels. And then when it comes to uh, new business or kind of like, uh, I also have a wish list with customers like companies and then when it comes to general business and just general you know scaling stuff because I have so many ex-founders or current founders on board as angels they are like the very first people I go to and I'm like okay so we're here uh, we want to get there so <laughs> how did you do it if we look forward you know once again on the topic of North America and Europe do you think you're going to keep raising capital from Europe or are you kind of fully American focused at this point? Yeah, at this point, at this point, I don't think I want to go back to European fundraising. You know, now, now we have like one of the best funds in the world on board. It's worth kind of like continuing like on, on that front. And uh, I'm sure in the next fundraise, we'll keep kind of like doing this in, in San Francisco where the best investors um, take decisions on the tech. All right, we're coming towards the end. As you're, you know, looking back on your very early journey, so in the last couple of years, there's a lot more ahead, but 
anything you would have done differently or, you know, you wish you would have known that you could give advice to yourself, you know, for any founder or operator that's listening to this and that's in your shoes two years ago? Yeah, so I have a couple of things. I think um, in general, like obviously it depends where you are and what you, what you can tap into. The number one thing that propelled me a huge amount is finding founders and starting building a network of founders of people who are going through the, the same things I am and maybe they're a couple steps ahead and these people were able to you know hear my story kind of like partially believe in me as well and then you know make introductions to to other people and so that's actually how I did my first ever angel round with um, EU angels so I think it's very very important building a support network of other people in the same situation with you I was a bit slow so I did it like one year in it was also COVID in 2020 so it was a bit weird uh, but that literally was a pivotal moment for for Katie and, and myself so that's the first thing The second thing, which is more fundraise-oriented, I guess, is you need to focus on the business. The top three things you need to do to prepare for the fundraise is like care about the business, focus on the business, and just build the business. Uh, and the reason is like you know fundraising can be super exciting and it's an adrenaline rush, and many founders um, that this is all they have to do at an early stage. But the reality is it's it's just a distraction. It's just like something you need to do to and get it done with. Um, it's it's much more important to be focusing a lot on making money uh, rather than, you know, making a huge amount of connections with investors. Um, and then they'll they'll come to you. I, I guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, so they'll come to you. So money comes easier if you don't need it. And I've been a person who has been super lean with money. And my advice is, you know, I know that you love fundraising. Uh, and it's exciting, but do the things that matter first, which is like build something customers love, have a business that is very lucrative to investors. Yeah, and I mean, just to your point earlier also, if you can find a way to manage fundraising with business development by seeing, okay, how can investors add value and, and kind of um, open doors, that's like a, a, you know, two birds, one stone that is highly valuable and you just make sure that the distraction still has a bit of upside on the other side as well, right? Yeah, and then yeah, like you know, dream big. So kind of like look look at the funds. Like who who are your dream investors? Um, find a warm intro, and then just keep them in the loop. Prove them you're worth talking to when the time comes for the fundraise. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think that was, I mean, what an epic story, and I'm just so excited for the next few years. And hopefully, we do this again in you know a couple of years, and you tell me how you've hit the billion dollar already, and you're aiming for ten, <laughs> and so on, so forth. That would be amazing. I'll be fighting for that until then. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm your host, Mike McGraw, and it's been a pleasure bringing you today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me and see you next time.